Let's open to First Peter, which is towards towards the end of the of the Bible. The six books back from the last book, which is Revelation. We're going to be in First Peter chapter two, verses nine through twelve. And the reason why is because we as a church want to know who are we supposed to be. What has God called us to be? And 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 what is a church? And who are we made up of? What does God want from us? And this morning we will see that God has called us to be a holy people. Now, before I read the passage for us, I'll admit that you might think this is one of the most boring topics that a preacher can preach on. Holiness. Okay, I get it. So like, like the Puritans or the Pilgrims that came across on the Mayflower and they wore those old funny-duddy outfits and they have the starch collars and oh, I, that kind of holiness. No, 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 no. This is actually one of the most amazing aspects of our identity as followers of Jesus Christ. And I will show you from the scriptures why that's the case. Not something reserved for the 1600s, but something that actually gives life to us today. So let's read 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 12. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Lord, I ask for your help right now as I speak on holiness, something that I know I, I lack completely apart from you. And I just I offer myself up to you today, Lord. Speak through me. Use me how you will. I thank you for your love and your grace for me that you have offered good news for every single person who's here and even in the world, God. Work through your word. Let the word do the heavy lifting today. Let your spirit be the power and the strength. And Lord, may you also open up our ears to hear that we would receive the message that you have for every single person in these seats today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I hope you, you uh, received a handout. And if you did, you'll see right at the top, the main point that we just read from this passage is that believers, when, when Peter's talking to the you, plural, or the we, we're talking to first person, talking about believers, Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. We have turned from our sin and we've trusted in Christ. That we, we are a holy nation, a people set aside to represent Christ in a lost world. It's a mouthful, so I'm going to say it again. We are a holy nation. In other words, a people set aside to represent Christ in a lost nation. Now, let's be clear about this. Verses 9 and 10 don't give us any room to be proud about ourselves. Like, I know what you're thinking when I say holy. You might be thinking, oh, holier than thou. Yeah, yeah I've, I've met a few of those people. The holier than thou people, right? No, we're called to be holy, not holier than thou. Right? Because our identity, speaking here from verses 9 and 10, none of this is anything that you and I have done. We don't get any credit for the work that God does in our life. Who gets the credit for that? God does. 
It's His excellencies. We are chosen. Chosen by who? By God. Who, who, who sets us apart as a holy nation? Who calls us to be His people? Who rescued us from darkness to light? Who offers up the opportunity to walk out of the empty grave of our hearts and to walk in love and truth? It is God. And it's unpopular in Christian circles today to talk about holiness because, because we think, oh no, we don't want to give off the impression that we're holier than thou. Well, guess what? If we talk about Jesus and we love Jesus and we focus on Jesus and our, our motivation for reaching other people is Jesus, we're not going to come across as holier than that. They can reject the gospel. They can reject Jesus. But they're going to see him through us because we know, ultimately, my holiness does not come from me. God is the Holy One. In fact, the word used here for holy, hagios, in the Greek, it means set apart, sacred, or dedicated to God. It does not mean sinless, which you might be thinking, oh man, I'm so unholy, I'm so unworthy. Good, because the word here is not sinless, it's not perfect. That word is anamartetos. It's not the word used here. This word means set apart, not perfect. It's used 235 times in the New Testament. Do you think it's important to God for us to know who we are? Absolutely. But we have to know whose we are. In the Old Testament, God is the one who is ultimately called holy. Just like God is love, he is also holy. He is set apart. There is no one like him. That's why we started with Behold Our God, as song. Who is like our God on the throne, reigning over all in perfect justice and righteousness and love and mercy? Only God. He's in a class by himself. In fact, Isaiah 6.3 calls him holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And for some reason that will always elude me, God had mercy on me. He loved me. And he sent me the gift of his only son to take care of my sin problem because I'm not sinless. I'm actually very sinful. And he said, I want you to be in my family. He rescued me. He showed me grace. He chose me to be a people of his own possession. Once I was not God's people, but he made me his people or person, speaking singularly, right? Once I had not received mercy, but now I've received mercy because God is a merciful God. He is the one in a class by himself. So who is the church, a holy nation? Well, we're all just beggars trying to tell other people where to find the bread. And Jesus says in John 6, clearly, it's me. I am the bread that will satisfy you to eternal life. It's not any one of us. It's not me. It's Jesus. He is the Holy One. He's God in the flesh. So for those who accept that gift and come by His grace, by His mercy, and we, we accept that relationship with Him, we are called a holy nation. A people who are set apart. So I'm no longer, a first and foremost, an American. Or first and foremost, Caucasian. My identity has been changed. I am now a citizen of heaven. I'm a member of the household of God. I'm a hope-filled child. That's what we saw in the first week of our series from 1 Peter. I am a person of the word. I was born alive by the word of God, and I will continue to be uh, 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 changed by the word of God. I cling to the word of God. This is his word to us. And we are destined to spend eternity with him in heaven. 
We gather under one banner. That banner is Jesus. We're covered by his blood. So, so we see here that our holy identity, that's that, that's that first blank there. I, I put those blanks there to keep you honest, okay? So I know you're tracking with me. If I see you writing, this is good, okay? Our holy identity should motivate holy activities, not vice versa. Like, do a bunch of, do a bunch of righteous, good, church-going activities, and therefore, maybe God will accept me as his child. Oh, no. Because I've been accepted as a child of God, now I want to live a life that's set apart for him. How could I not? After all, he's done for me. So, But you have to understand what your motivation comes from. It's our identity. We're covered by the blood of Jesus. The Holy Spirit of God lives within us, so we want to pursue holiness to become like Jesus. So we proclaim God's excellencies, not our own. We proclaim Christ's excellencies, not our own. It's about him. Anyone is welcome because it wasn't about me. He brought me out of darkness. He broke my chains. And there is hope for us to actually live a holy life because guess what? Jesus didn't just come to save us from the past. He is also our hope for today. And he's our hope for tomorrow. Scripture says there is no temptation you can face in life, whether that's a temptation to sin, whether that's a temptation to fear or stress out or be anxious. There's nothing you will face in life that is greater than the grace that God gives us. He gives us grace for everything. One English bishop from the 19th century, his name is J.C. Ryle. You've probably seen a few of, I don't know if you follow any uh, Christians on, on Instagram or Twitter, you'll, you'll probably see some people quote him. He's He's well, um, well, well informed on God's plan for our life. J.C. Ross says this, We must be holy because this is one grand end and purpose for which Christ came into the world. Jesus is a complete Savior. He does not merely take away the guilt of someone's sin. He does more. He breaks the power. Sin has no power over us. God has power over us. I belong to God. And I'll be honest with you all. It was, it, I was trying to think of, of an illustration for this first point. And it's so much easier to talk about other people's sin <laughs> or, or when other people experience a life change. But I'm going to be honest with you guys. You know how I know this is true? I've seen God do a work in my life. Because I was saved at a young age, but all throughout my young and teenage years, I just went through this cycle that, that maybe you can identify with. I would sin, and I'd sin spectacularly, and then I'd feel all the guilt and the shame that would just crash over me. I felt terrible. So I'd confess it to God. I'd say, all right, God, I'm not doing that again. No more. And then I'd try to walk in my own strength and not do that again. And guess what I would do again? Over and over and over. And I'm living in guilt and shame and fear. And I'm afraid to tell other people what I'm struggling with because what will they think of me if they know what I'm really struggling with? And then I realized as I got to know Jesus and I spent more time in the Word and in prayer, those things don't automatically make the temptations go away, but Jesus grew sweeter over time, and my sin grew less sweet, left a bitter taste in my mouth. And slowly but surely, I was able to say no more to temptation because I was enjoying Jesus. Now, I still fall. I still sin every single day, and so do you. But we don't have to live in this never-ending cycle of guilt, shame, sin, confess, guilt, shame. Jesus has covered that. So cling to him. Run to him. Remind yourself of your identity in him. That's certainly what I need reminding of. 
Our identity is our motivation for holiness. We're called to be holy because he has made us holy. He has set us apart. Our motivation has to begin and end with Christ, doesn't it? Now, the second thing we see in verses 11 through 12 is there is a pressing need for holiness. There's a reason it's in Scripture over 230 times. Now, what is that? Because Peter says, Beloved, I'm urging you. I'm pleading with you. Is what that word means. Please, please abstain from the passions of the flesh. You're beloved. You're God's children. You can't sin your way out of God's family. So remember that. But there's also a pressing need for us to lean into Christ, to let him change our thoughts and our actions and our desires to look more like his kingdom to come than the world that we currently live in. And there's, there's positives and there's negatives. He, he says, don't do this, but then do this. So first of all, you're going to see we are sojourners and exiles. That word sojourner, fancy word, basically means you're an alien, okay? So not like alien versus predator, but alien is that you are foreign to this world. Do you understand what he's saying here? This world is not our home. We were born into the kingdom of God when you put your faith in Jesus. We're adopted. Our, our citizenship has been transferred. So now, do I live as if this is permanent? Or do I realize this world is not my home? I'm just passing through, like the old hymn says. says I'm a sojourner. I'm just I'm weaving my way through, following Jesus. I'm also an exile. I don't quite fit in here. And, and the audience that's receiving this letter from Peter, if you weren't tracking with us through the first three weeks of, these, of this sermon series, they were actually kicked out of their homes for their faith in Jesus. So forget... Oh, I was persecuted on my Christian campus and people were making fun of me. I mean, not Christian campus. I was persecuted on my campus for being a Christian. Oh, no, no, Because much further than that, these people lost their homes, their businesses, their friends, their livelihood. They were called enemies of the state. Because Rome said, we literally don't know what to do with you. You say Caesar is not your highest allegiance? You say you're living for a kingdom to come, you're citizens of heaven? Get out of here. And they kicked him out. They're exiled. But you and I are exiles as well. Maybe you just don't realize it. We're pilgrims on a journey. We love the United States of America, and I hope you do. Thankful for this country. I'm thankful for the freedoms that allow me to preach the gospel to you here. But you know what's better than a democratic republic? The kingdom of God. Where a perfect king is on the throne, and he's going to reign perfectly forever. God, we don't have to take a vote. Who are we going to follow? Follow the one who's on the throne. And everything comes into a crystal clear picture. We're sojourners and we're exiles. So the world will persecute. The world will keep us at an arm's distance. They'll say we're weird. Okay, you're not from around here. And we can respond in two different ways. I think we've all been in the boat of, oh, I'm not, I'm not weird. Hey, I've, I've tried saying this many times over. It's never worked, okay? If you have to tell somebody you're not weird, you're already on, you're already on the losing side of things, okay? So I can give you that look. Stop. Okay. No. And, okay. We are weird. We will stick out. Why? Because our values do not match up with the world's values. The world says, you do you. Do what feels good. Live for the moment. We say, no, we're living for eternity. That's weird. 
It just is to the world. They don't get it. And Christians can try to appease the world and make it so, okay, we'll kind of stop talking about this holiness thing. We'll stop talking about sin. Uh, we'll stop talking about righteousness or Jesus' blood having to cover our sins. Oh, that's kind of offensive. People don't want to hear about blood. That's, that's kind of gory, right? So, so let's just talk about the positive things like joy and love and hope. But we don't define what love is. It's the good news of Jesus, that Jesus came to die for your sins and to give you new life and to save you from the lake of fire and to rescue into his kingdom. There's no love and there's no good news if we don't tell people the truth. So yeah, we're going to be treated like we're weird, but we can't stop proclaiming the word that Jesus has given us. So we don't accommodate the world. We don't adopt their values. We are salt and light so they can see Jesus through us. We have to be careful as a church that we don't accept uh, uh, like, like well-established cultural beliefs. Because what the culture believes today is much different than what the culture believed 50 years ago. And guess what? 50 years from now, they're going to believe something totally different. Do you really want to latch yourself onto the sinking ship that is man's opinion? The same man that scripture says is like grass, and he is fading away in an instant? We don't want to attach ourselves to that. Attach ourselves to the kingdom of God that has come to this world that will never fade away. I've been listening to an audiobook lately. This is my new thing I really enjoy, because who's got time to sit down and actually read a book page by page? Alexis does. Okay. I can learn a thing or two from Alexis in my, in my weekly priorities. But, hey, I love reading good books, but I don't have the time to just sit there and page through it. So I, I'm trying this audiobook, and I saw a recommendation from a friend. It's called The Devil's Chessboard. Has anyone heard of The Devil's Chessboard? It's David Talbot's uh, audiobook biography of Alan Dulles who is a former spy master and head of the Central Intelligence Agency of the United States of America. Now, we look at the CIA, and these are the good guys, right? They're, they're, they're protecting our, our international interests. You know, through spy and espionage, they're trying to keep Americans. That's what we think, right? This guy was the head of the CIA from 1953 to 1961. But there's a secret about Alan Dulles that's no longer such a secret. When he was... Uh, uh, a spy master over in Europe, he actually helped high-ranking Nazi officials escape from punishment for their extermination of the Jews, for, for their gas vans and their gas chambers, and, and literal genocide. One of our own, our own spies, defied FDR's command that we should have unconditional surrender for the Nazis. That's our only policy with that. You surrender, and you face the consequences for what you've done. He said, you know, these Nazis aren't so bad. It's really the communists who are our enemy. So I'm going to help these guys escape punishment, so that way we can work together to fend off our real enemy. That's the communists. So literal, like genocide murderers, got to walk free. He made sure he pulled the strings to make that happen. <laughs> What does it even mean to be an enemy anymore? Genocide? Murder? He forgot who the real enemy was. Because there's always another enemy lurking out there, right? Why am I telling that story? Because in verse 11, we are told we are very literally in spiritual warfare. There is a war being waged on your soul. And the enemy is not who you think it is. 
We want to say Satan, right? Satan is the enemy. Demons. Demons are the enemy. Oh, you know, my neighbor's sin. Well, you don't believe what my neighbor did. Uh, my neighbor's sin is the really big deal. Or that politician's mess? Let me tell you about that. That's the real threat. Oh, no. Verse 11. Scripture says our biggest enemy in our spiritual battle is our own flesh. It's me. I'm the traitor. I am the Alan Dulles in relationship to God the Father. I'm the traitor that broke his law and went my own way. I broke ranks. And day after day, even though I have the Holy Spirit inside of me, because I put my faith in Jesus, I still feel the pull of that old lifestyle. I'll try this, I'll do that, I'll respond this way. The old lust die hard. And so Peter says, hey, you need to abstain from that. You need to pull back. We can't play around with sin or temptation. We can't flirt with it. We can't, we can't just look at it for a few seconds on our phones and then say, okay, that, that's, that's all. And you can't do that because when we let in those old desires, we're living like people have been defeated. But remember, sin doesn't pull the power over us anymore. So we don't want to live that way. We want to abstain. If you go back to chapter 2, verse 1, Peter says, here's the lust of the flesh that you need to avoid. Stay away from these passions. Put away all malice. Put away all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, all slander. So if you don't know what those words are, very simply, okay, put away all malice. Don't wish evil on people. Like it's one thing to wish for a criminal to get caught and go through the justice process, but to actually wish harm on another human being. Put that away. All deceit. What about white lies? Is that deceit? Put it all away. Hypocrisy. Oh, yeah, that, that, one, that one hits close to home, doesn't it? Put it away. Envy. Wanting what someone else has, especially Christmas time. Goodness. Put it away. All slander. Put it away. We don't want to fuel the flesh. Instead, we want to represent our king well because we represent Jesus to this lost world. So in verse 12, it looks like a second sentence where he says, uh, uh, put away the passions of the flesh. Right? That, that's the enemy. And verse 12, keep your conduct honorable. It's actually the continuation of the same sentence. Because when you put off something, you and I have experienced this before, probably some, some habit you're trying to shake and let go of. Uh, you know, maybe you're trying to, to cut out that late night snacking and you're trying to get better about, about working out and being physically fit. It's not enough to just say, I'm going to stop something. You have to start something else. You have to start a new habit. Otherwise, what are you going to do? You're going to go back to it. I mean, even if someone says, oh, you know, I quit. I quit drinking cold turkey. I quit smoking cold turkey. Odds are, they started doing something. Chewing gum, you know, Nicorette, or, you know, they start eating apples and fruit like crazy. You start something when you lose a bad habit. So, so Peter says, keep your conduct honorable. Replace your bad behavior with a different way of life. And it reminded me of my Bible reading this week, which is something that's awesome that the Spirit of God does. When you read the Bible, you file it away, and you're like, I don't... I don't know if I'm going to revisit that verse again this week, you know, and, and then you're reading somewhere else and it, and it clicks, and you just see. The Spirit makes it come alive in your mind. 
Jesus says in John 4, 34, he tells his disciples, hey, I'm not really hungry for lunch. I've had bread to eat that you do not know of. And they're all talking to each other. Did someone come bring him lunch? We're supposed to bring him lunch. And who beat us to the punch? They're trying to figure out, what do you mean? And then he clarifies, my food, my desires, is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Why did God save us to be a holy people? To do good works in his name and to show people the love of God. You put off the bad works, hey, let's get busy doing what is good and honoring to God. Helping and serving others. Being that holy nation, not holier than thou. Actually, no, I feel compelled to go down to help the addicts, to help the hurting. Those who overcome in cycles of shame and guilt. And I don't judge them. I get down in the dirt next to them. I cry with them. I lift them up. I meet their needs, whatever they need, right where they are. Why? Because this is what I was made for. This is what Jesus would do if he was here. And he put me here to represent him. So I get the privilege to do good works and concern myself with the Father's business so that everyone could hear the good news of Jesus. So our application for point two is, goodness, how am I arranging my schedule to do good works? Are you using your gifts, your abilities, the way that God made you to serve others and help him? And i got to tell you, the local church is a great place to start because there are very real flesh and blood people who come here on a weekly basis to worship, and we're meeting in each other's homes, and we meet over meals, and we're serving out the community together. And as we get to know each other, we actually get to serve one another. In the name of Jesus, the family. I love it. I love what God's doing in this church. And I encourage you to consider coming back and plugging in with us. What about caring for the needy? Or taking someone a meal that's going through a hard time? Simple ways to show love. Maybe it's sitting down with your family or your, your loved one or, or even just on your own and having devotions. Spending time with Jesus and he'll teach you what he wants you to do that day. How he wants you to serve. Who he wants you to help. What about praying? Praying is the most simple and honestly convenient thing, convenient way to serve someone else in Jesus' name. You find out someone's going through a hard time, hey, can I pray for you? You think you have to be an expert prayer to pray for somebody? Is that, is that a word, a prayer? As opposed to like prayer, like the actual act? Pray for someone. Don't just say, I will pray for you. Pray for them right there if they'll let you. Pray for your waitress. Pray for somebody in the store that's waiting, waiting for the car to come pick him up. Hey, is there anything I pray for you about? You'll be amazed. Most of the time, people will open up and share, actually, yeah, I'm going through something right now. How did you know? Uh, the Father's given me the eyes to see, to look out, to help others. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You all know this. We show the love of Jesus. And we build bridges, and we can actually share Jesus with them, share the gospel. And that's our third point here. When we have authentic faith, that leads people towards Jesus. Like, not hypocritical faith, or holier-than-thou-ness. I, I actually have faith in Christ, and I'm growing in him. Authentic faith leads people to Jesus. And here's an amazing thing that I discovered in this passage. Ethne. When it says, the nations are watching. In fact, let me... Let me read that passage and make sure we don't, we don't jump past it there. But he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good works 
and glorify God on the day of visitation. So, so who are these Gentiles? Simply, Gentiles are non-Jews, right? But in the context of what Peter's talking about, that word ethne, it means all people groups. All, all types of people that you'll encounter. It's the same word used in the Great Commission when Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, all ethnic, all people groups, from every tribe, tongue, and language, every ethnic background, uh, social status, economic status. Go make disciples of all nations. Teach them everything that I've commanded. And Peter says, guess what? The gospel still works, and the world is watching you and I. They want to know, is this the real deal? Can Jesus actually change someone's life? Because every time I turn on the news, I'm hearing about another famous so-called Christian that was living a double life their whole life, telling people, here's the life you should live, and doing something completely different. That's busted. There's no power in that gospel. That's because that's not the gospel. Our Jesus has the power to change lives. And I'll be the first to admit, i got to confess I have sin issues I'm working on. The moment that I tell you I'm good, I haven't sinned in three months, you should start worrying about me. <laughs> because I'm not Jesus. I'm seeking to let him work in my life and point others to him. But I have the Holy Spirit, so there's hope for me. And there's hope for you too. But our world is dying. They don't have that hope. They don't have that Savior. But he's offered them the same gift as you or I. So we are committed as a church, and I hope you individually as believers, that we want to reach North Sarasota with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll let them know what Jesus has done for them. And our secret sauce is relationships. How do you reach someone with the gospel? You start talking to them. Get to know their name. Get to know what they're struggling with. Earn their trust. Show them that you genuinely care for them. This isn't like a, I'm going to invite you to church so I can tell my pastor I invited you to church. No, I actually love you. I care about you. And so does Jesus. Let me offer you some good news. And through those authentic relationships, you see disciples being formed for Jesus. You see lost people coming to faith in Christ. You see baptisms happening because people are wanting to take that step and, and take that step of obedience. So we lean into our strength because we have authentic faith. And we want to saturate this entire community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love that word, saturate. It's not enough for just a couple people to hear about Jesus. I don't want there to be any neighbors in North Sarasota that, that have no clue what we're talking about when we say the gospel, or when we say Jesus, or God loves you and sent his son to die for you. Every single one of them should at least know the gospel because we have taken great pains and sacrifice to serve them and share with them that good news. So how are we as a church going to saturate this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Boy, I'm glad you asked. Thank you so much. Okay. Here is the vision that God has given us. He has called us to lean into our strength of life-on-life -life discipleship and to form missional small groups. We get together as a church to live out what we read about, what we hear about on Sunday. We get together to learn and to discuss and to help each other live it out and then we plan and we pray together to go actually share that with our neighbors. So it's relationship to God, it's relationship to others, and when we plant a small group in a community, we're reaching literal neighbors around us for Jesus Christ. 
And then when that small group grows to 12 adults or so in their families and it gets, gets too big, we want to plant another group in another part of the city so we can saturate that neighborhood with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then those small groups multiply. And they send out another small group. Do you see how it works? And one day we want to be a church planting church. We want to send church planters to reach unreached people groups around the world. That's only going to happen if we start with relationships right here. Who has God put around me that I can share the love of God with? And get my focus off of myself and my guilt and my shame and focus on what God's calling me to do today by His grace. What a calling. We really are holy people. We're set apart for something so much more than just sitting in a service on Sunday. God wants to work through you to bring His kingdom on this earth in the hearts of His people. What an awesome thing. That's why scripture calls us priests, priests of God, because we represent him to the world and we represent the hurting to Jesus through prayer and intercession. We care. We care. And what a time with the holidays coming, Christmas is coming, Thanksgiving is coming. You're going to have more opportunities to have open conversations with people than ever before. Do we have the eyes to see that? Do you have the authentic walk with Christ where you can tell someone, hey, I want to share some good news with you, not because I'm perfect and I figured everything out, but, but I do know one thing. Jesus loves me so. But the Bible tells me so. You can host a neighbor in your house for a game night, for a meal. Go out for coffee. Talk to your coworker on break. So simple to do if we have the eyes to see and embrace this holy calling. And when the world is watching, Will we live as holy people? Will we embrace this identity and this calling? I hope this passage resonates with you like it did with me. No, we're not better than anyone else. We don't look down on anyone else. But God has called us into a relationship with him, and the news is too good to keep to ourselves. We have hope for all people. It starts right here. Who is God calling you to share the hope of Jesus with this week. Let's bow our heads or we'll close our eyes. Ask our worship team to, to come up. And I want us to think on what God has been speaking to us this morning. First of all, if, if you have not had the opportunity to get to know Jesus as a Savior and as the Lord of your life, as the Son of God, God in the flesh who cares about you, then I want to invite you today to get to know him. I'd be happy to talk to you about that. Pastor Dennis, in the blue polo, he'll, he'll be at the back table, he'd be happy to talk to you about that and show how you can know that you can live forever with God and be free from that cycle of guilt and shame. Maybe you're a believer here this morning and maybe you felt a little bit trapped by some regrets or some sins in the past. You just need some encouragement today to know I don't have to live that way anymore. Jesus already broke that cycle on the cross. Right there in your seat, talk to Jesus. And ask him to help remind you who you are and what he's done in your life. I also want to encourage us all to commit to growing alongside others. If you don't have a church home, you don't have a place where you feel like you actually have personal relationships with people who also love Jesus and want to see you grow and you can help others grow and love and serve them. 
I want to invite you to consider Living Hope Church. But I, I dare say there's a command in Scripture here for us to do life together. Whatever that looks like. If not this church, another church where they're making disciples. And you can love others. Real flesh and blood people. Maybe it's getting connected in a women's ministry starting up December 5th. Maybe it's coming to men's group. Maybe it's coming to small group on Thursday night. But guess what? If we're a holy nation, that requires more than one person. Let's be the church that God's called us to be. And we all have an open invitation to feed on God's goodness. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, we have free copies available for you on the back table. There's no reason no one should go through life here today and not just be satisfied in Jesus for yourself. Feed on Him. Enjoy Him. Grow in Him. And then I would ask, especially those who are a part of our committed core here, those who would like to become a part of our committed core, would you pray for your church? Would you pray for your pastors? If our greatest enemy is within, then I need prayer that I will say no to my sin and say yes to Jesus. I can't do it my own strength, and neither can you. So let's be a church that prays, that we believe we'll do more for God on our knees then we will just walk in miles and miles and miles and play the things we need the Spirit. When we sing in a moment, we're going to sing that Jesus will let his kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Sister Dana, for leading us in that prayer. We all get to respond. And I pray from your heart you can genuinely say, let your kingdom come, Lord Jesus.